This is Courtney Lilly, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 24, for Wednesday, June 15th, 2011. Well, today I am so excited to bring you an interview with writer-producer Courtney Lilly. He's L.A.-based, and he has written for a whole pile of shows, including Arrested Development, Everybody Hates Chris, My Boys, the Cleveland Show, and you are going to have a lot of fun hearing his story about how he got to Hollywood and how he got on all those great shows. Uh, before we continue with the interview, uh, just a few details to get out of the way. One of them is the homework that is on the table, and that is Elephant Bucks by Sheldon Bull. Since today's interview is talking about comedy writing, and in particular, um, talking about single ca uh, camera comedy writing. That's that's what uh, uh, Courtney Lilly has done most of. Elephant Bucks is all about writing sitcoms. So I urge you to buy it, read it. It's an excellent, excellent book, a great companion to Ellen Sandler's TV Writer's Workbook, which we talked about uh, before. Um, you can buy that at tvwriterpodcast.com. Go to the store, and you'll see a link that you can... Um, buy that, and actually a little bit of that goes to help support the podcast. So a great book for your shelf. Don't forget the TV Writer Chat every Sunday night. That's at 6.30 p.m. Pacific, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Just go on Twitter and use the hashtag TV Writer Chat, or if you go to tvwriterchat.com, you can find out how to enter a chat room, which auto-enters that hashtag for you. It's a little bit easier to get involved that way. We've got some great, great topics. You can find out the list of topics that are coming up by going to tvwriterchat.com. It's for one hour every Sunday night, and it's definitely worth your time. Don't forget to check out when you're at the uh, tvwriterpodcast.com site, the Twitter database, which is over 700 writers and continues to climb. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Gray Jones is my handle. You can also follow Courtney Lilly on Twitter at Courtney Lilly, just like his name. And uh, you're going to have a lot of fun by following his tweets because he does tweet jokes, though he does warn that he doesn't tweet that many because usually he's tired at the end of a day of comedy writing. But don't forget to go to scriptmag.com, our partner on this podcast, for lots of great resources, including the Balls of Steel articles by Gene Bowerman and also Chad Gervich's very knowledgeable articles on TV writing. But for now, without further ado, let's roll with my interview with Courtney Lilly. Enjoy. My name is Gray Jones, and I'm here with TV writer-producer Courtney Lilly, best known for Arrested Development, Everybody Hates Chris, My Boys, The Cleveland Show. Well, hey, a whole lot more than that. How are you doing, Courtney? Good, good. Yourself? How about you? Uh, doing very, very well. We had a little bit of a um, uh, challenging time with a fire alarm, but we got through that, and it's not ringing now, so I think we'll be okay. Success. <laughs> yep. So I, I just can't wait to hear your story. Um, where, where did you get started? Where did you grow up? Uh, well, I grew up kind of a little bit all over the place. I, uh, I was born in Spokane, Washington, uh, but we moved around a little bit, lived in Ohio, lived outside of Seattle for a bit, but like outside of Philadelphia, Westchester, Pennsylvania is where I went to high school and that's my home. That's where, that's where I'm from. My parents are still out that way. 
So like, I, I guess I'm a Philadelphia guy, East Coast, but I understand, like, I understand the West Coast living, which is what I've done now. And I've lived out in LA for 11 years now. So honestly, that's as long as I've lived anywhere else. So. Mm-hmm. And so, so from Philadelphia, um, did you start writing there? Were, were, were you writing in school or when did that start? Well, I went to, uh, uh, Columbia in New York mm-hmm. for college. And I knew, uh, there I thought I was going to be like a sportscaster. I was involved with the radio station there. I did some, uh, sports writing for the newspaper. And so like sports writing was kind of, and journalism was kind of the, the road I thought I was going to be on. I, I knew I wanted to write, but I knew nothing about writing for television. I knew, I didn't know that a lot of people come out here, you're, you're a PA and you work your way up to a writer assistant. I didn't know any of those paths mm-hmm. at all. So, uh, literally my first job out of college, I worked in the, in Rhode Island, uh, in Providence, Rhode Island for the Providence Journal Bulletin. And I was a reporter. Mm-hmm. And I covered two towns on the Rhode Island, Connecticut border, Hopkinton and Richmond. And, uh, they, you know, didn't have a ton of people, but like it was a great experience. And I was, you know, I met a lot of great people, but I also figured out I was not meant to be a journalist. <laughs> uh, pretty early on. Yeah. And so I lasted at that job. Uh, it was a great opportunity and great people. And like I, still respect journalists to this day because it, like honestly you know the curiosity in that profession is so massive and it's like the same thing you have as a writer it's just a different tool and different tools that weren't i didn't necessarily have but yeah so after about eight months I, I i left there moved back to new york city worked on a website for a little while and kind of was trying to figure out what to do was thinking about grad school and again like no idea how to move out to la i didn't know anybody here any of that kind of stuff um and in the late 90s, I had a friend who uh, was like, you know, Nickelodeon is, has this writing fellowship program. I know you're kind of interested in writing TV. So she forwarded me the information. And I knew I, I was so ignorant about television writing at this point. And this mm-hmm. is like, again, this is the late 90s. And so, like, obviously, the Internet's happening, but it's not happening like it is now, where it's just like, well, I'll just do a Google search of this. Or I'll just search <laughs> this. I'm curious about it. Like, literally, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't. My first thought wasn't to, like, look stuff online. And there wasn't a lot of information when you did start looking at stuff online. And uh, so I, I put together a, uh, a Simpsons spec script just because it was a show I knew well and I watched a lot of and I had an idea for mm-hmm. and I, I went to Barnes and Nobles and bought some Fraser scripts because they had some of those and some other things and learned how to format it kind of that like that uh-huh. uh, which is different from animation but still the, the people at the Nickelodeon were, were forgiving uh, but I'm jumping ahead of myself mm-hmm. so, so yeah I wrote my my spec sent it in a three ring binder not like the three hole punch like, <laughs> oh, like a three ring binder because i just didn't i like that's how ignorant i was of the whole process uh-huh. and through all those mistakes of formatting and bindering and all that other kind of stuff uh, uh, uh karen horn who was running the program at nickelodeon at the time saw enough in the writing that uh the, that i got the fellowship it was the first year of the nickelodeon fellowship which is still running and that moved me out to los angeles and that was in 2000 i moved out here so it was it was a lot of luck. I think it was a lot that had to do with it. it was the first year of the program and this again like internet wasn't huge and so like not as many people outside of like Los Angeles really knew about it and New York and all that other kind of stuff. So like now they have like a ton of applicants and then I if I had to compete against them I wouldn't have had a chance. Not a chance at all because it was just I was too green. But I wrote some stuff that was, you know, all right and pretty funny and got me out there for the fellowship and I gave me a place to land for a year, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was big. It was it was very helpful. Very, very cool. Well, I've heard nothing but great things about all the fellowships. Yeah. I'm a big booster for those because I think they really kind of bring outside voices in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, which is I, which is positive. Because, again, like there are tons of people with stories who were in the situation where I'm in. I, I mean, I was still in New York and, you know, I'd, I'd gone to school with a good film program, even though I didn't 
participate in it, you know? So like, I wasn't so far outside, but there are people everywhere in like Texas and Mississippi and Oklahoma and all these people have stories who are involved in this medium and want to get involved. And it's just hard if you don't know people necessarily, but if you can write, that's the big thing. And and I think they open a lot of doors that way. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So it was a Nickelodeon fellowship and your first IMDB credit is Invader Zim, which I'm guessing is a Nickelodeon show. So, so how did the one lead to the other? Well, Invader Zim, uh, well, basically the great thing about the fellowship for me is I'm, I like learning on the job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the Nickelodeon Fellowship, the first year, uh, I was there, they, they, they're just kind of like, all right, so you're going to be one of the animation fellows and your job is going to be to work for the show Invader Zim. And, uh, so like they just kind of plopped me in there and I was like one of their writing fellows, interns, people. And so like I, Worked on that show for a year, and everybody was great over there. Uh, Invader Zim was a show created by Jonah Vasquez, who's a comic book guy, super super talented dude, and it, it was it's kind of like a little bit of a cult classicy show in a way. Uh, it was not on the air very long. It was about a like an alien who was really short for his for his species, uh-huh. and he had a, like, kind of a Napoleonic complex, and he his whole thing was to go out and take over the Earth. And, uh, by whatever <laughs> means necessary, like uh-huh. loading things, blowing things up. But he was, he was incompetent. And there was one kid who in, in his neighborhood, and he was like, he posed as like a fourth grader. And so there's a kid in his neighborhood who knew he was an alien. Uh-huh. Because it was pretty obvious. He was green, you know? <laughs> I mean, so it was a comedy. It was very funny. Uh-huh. Um, some of the difficulties came in that, like, it's hard to do a show about what is essentially an alien species terror- terrorist after uh-huh. after 9-11. Oh, right. <laughs> so, like, mm-hmm. those were some of the things where it's like, oh, well, all of a sudden, some of this stuff isn't as funny anymore when you're <laughs> trying to, to destroy things. Um, but I got to say, it was a great experience. I, I liked working with everybody I worked with. It gave me a, an office to go to, a place to go immediately when I moved out here. And I didn't mm-hmm. soul and, you know, was 3,000 miles away from my home and my family and all that other kind of stuff. And it just gave me a launching pad, too, as much as anything, to kind of get into the business, learn a little bit, and meet some people, just kind of get my feet underneath me. So it was great. And the show, I mean, it's on DVD. It's a very funny show. I think they still repeat it every now and again. Mm-hmm. It's 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 an odd, quirky show. I will say it was probably a little bit ahead of its time. So I was lucky in that regard, too, to land on a show that was very kind of different. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds fun. Yeah, it was. It was absolutely fun. Mm-hmm. So now uh, the animation didn't last long because by 2004, you were on Arrested Development, right? Yes. The fellowship at Nickelodeon was for a year. Mm-hmm. So that was like 2000, 2001. And the ones I wrote that ended up on my MDB were freelance episodes that I wrote after that. And, uh, and, and so for about two years after the Nickelodeon Fellowship, I did the very typical Los Angeles temping and trying to freelance write thing, mm-hmm. uh, which was a lot of temping and not as much freelance writing. Some of it in animation, like uh, there's a cartoon, Static Shock, that I, I you know, co-wrote an episode for and uh, the... Uh, cartoon Arthur on PBS co-wrote one of mm-hmm. those, like things just to kind of keep me going a little bit that my managers would hook me up with and so on and so forth. So that was good, you know, but it was, it was tough. It was, you know, struggle times and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But, uh, my, my eye was always in to, to move into primetime mm-hmm. comedy as of anyway. And like, that was a nice thing about Invaders then too, is that a very strong comedic voice there. So it was, you know, and it, and it was, as a mature comedic voice for for a kid's show on Nickelodeon, too. So mm-hmm. those things played into my hands and allowed me to develop. And so I kept writing some specs and um, eventually wrote something that, you know, got the attention of, you know, a manager who was able to help me, you know, get some meetings. And then, you know, I landed on Arrested Development for the first two seasons, which was 
awesome because that was like, yeah, you know, I mean, like, talk about a very talented staff to be around and people who you're learning for. The nice thing about TV writing to me is like, you know, it's a very collaborative thing. Mm-hmm. You're always with your peers and you're always kind of learning something. You know, you're being challenged. You're, you're, and, you know, your experiences are growing. And so like, as somebody who is new and Invaders Zen was a kind of a different show, we didn't really have a writer's room as much as we just kind of like pitch things and went mm-hmm. out and write those things and so on and so forth. Being immersed in a, in a, uh, in a writer's room like that with that culture and that much experience and that much talent was, I mean, it cut years off the learning curve. So that was awesome. And everybody was great over there too. So it was like, it was, and it was a, you know, a great show to, to write for too and to be a part of because, you know, it's funny. So mm-hmm. that was, that was pretty great. Well, I guess, I guess with any TV staff, there's always all levels. There's, there's the people coming in, there's the mid level, there's the co-producer, the producer. And so it's, uh, yeah. I, I guess always an opportunity for, to learn from the more experienced people in the room, but especially in comedy, everybody's pitching, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, it's funny because like definitely the idea, when I first got out here was, you know, and you would hear that a lot. It was kind of like, okay, so you're a staff writer, you're there to learn, you're not there to talk as much and you kind of, you know, just kind of figure things out and get the lay of land. And that's definitely still true as far as like, as far as, you know, and again, you, you always have to read the room, but it's still kind of true. You're not there to come in there and, you know, take the world by storm because generally you don't know as much, you mm-hmm. know, but I will say that things are different now. Like every, nobody is expected to be dead weight. Everybody's there to contribute into a way that like, you know, and again, this may be just my, you know, misconception of it, but it seems as though like back when there were a gajillion sitcoms on in the eighties and nineties and they would have staffs of 20 people, you would be having, you have four or five staff writers and you would carry some. And so they would learn and figure some things out and, you know, figure out which ones were good, which ones weren't and so on and so forth. But it was a slower, more patient, you know, kind of way of dealing with things. Mm-hmm. And again, that for the stories I heard, that's what it kind of seemed like. Whereas, you know, definitely now I say you got to swim right away. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it, it's not it's, it's a pressure filled situation. Everybody I've worked with, for the most part, has been great and has been great to young writers and supportive of young writers. But like they also want to see, you know, what you can do so that you're not just taking up space. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think that's some of the reality that's changed a little bit. Uh, and so it's always helpful to be in a situation like with the rest of development. For me, when I was young or new and trying to figure things out, that there were really supportive people who were great about like when you would pitch stuff, you know, and some of it would be terrible, of course, you know, just not making it feel <laughs> like you didn't belong there, even if yeah. you didn't you know like that and finding the way to encourage and so that you would you know and again like obviously they would see something in what you were saying and you know you'd be able to move forward and so on and so forth but uh yeah i, I was i was very fortunate in that regard mm-hmm. very cool so you were there for one or two seasons two seasons I was two there seasons season. yeah very very cool and then and then how did that lead to everybody hates chris after the first two seasons there the rest of development is chris rock was somebody who's you know as a, a young black fan of comedy mm-hmm. you know Chris Rock you can't really get any bigger than that <laughs> and so mm-hmm. you hear that there's a show that he's doing and so on and so forth and it was a very funny pilot and you know so I was interested in that and went out into meetings and I uh, met Ollie Leroy who ran the show and uh you know I was just fortunate there to 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 get that job after arrested and uh you know one of the things about like comedy writing that's funny is like to me, you know, especially when you're a younger writer or a staff writer or something like that, there's, you're always, always, always working for the showrunner and you're trying to make your name there and you want to stay there and you want to kind of, you know, make a reputation there. Mm-hmm. But those kind of come and go. Like you never know. You may only get three episodes of a show before it's pulled from the air. Anything can happen. And so as much as you're working 
to make a mark on the showrunner who's often very busy and is like dealing with production aspects and all these other kind of things. You don't always have that opportunity. They're out of the room a lot of times too. You're also working for the other people on the show who mm-hmm. have, you know, who know a lot of people. It's a very small business a lot of times. You know, it, it seems like everybody kind of knows everybody. So like when it comes time to go for a meeting on another show, the show running over that new show you're kind of meeting on will call up the person who knows who worked with you. And it's a very simple process. They ask like, Oh, what was this person like to work with? <laughs> Cause nobody's going to put their self on the line and sit there and say like, Oh yeah, no, they were good. Unless you were good. Unless right. you could work. So like, I always kind of tell people that like you're working as much, you know, for the showrunner. And obviously you're, you're, you know, trying to make that show better and trying to do create, you know, help their vision get out there. But you're also working with and for the people who, are, you know, the co-producers and the executive producers and the co-executive producers who aren't the showrunners. You know, they are as important as anybody else and you want to, you know, there's times, like, their people are very strategic and save their best pitches for when the showrunner's in the room and all that other kind of stuff. But, you know, to me, you're always working. You're always doing it because, like, people want to know that you're good because it's going to come up later and you're going to need to get a recommendation from somebody. So uh, that's a long way of saying that, like, when it got to uh, everybody hates Chris time. You know, there was somebody uh, who I worked with on Rest Development. We knew some people. And so they will put in a good word and, and, and was over there for a little bit. Very, very wise. Very cool. And so, uh, so what, how did the rooms compare uh, between Arrested Development and Everybody Hates Chris? When you first walked in to Everybody Hates Chris, what was your first impression? You know, it was different. It was like every room is different culturally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like that was, but that was the big thing. Cause going from like my first room, to the next one and seeing how vastly different and it's just personalities really it is not like i mean like some showrunners are very hands-on and and you know you just kind of group write everything and some shows like you just pitch the outlines to the studio and network and some shows you end up writing them and turning them in and so there's different process that was the kind of like the big thing to see that like it was different everywhere that, that was kind of the biggest surprise to me it was like oh this is different than what we did over here, you know? And so like, that was the, the big difference. Rest of the development, of course, you know, is a, is a different animal and there were long hours and everybody hates Chris didn't have as long an hours. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of one of the things that you, you took away and you noticed, but you know, I mean, like it's still writing and breaking a sitcom, you know, it's like, it's still like the elements are basically the same. And, you know, it's almost like like cooking. You're still kind of you're always you know like you're making soup. So you're doing you know you got the <laughs> carrots or all these other kind of things, and then like it's the it's how it all blends together that ends up kind of being the different thing. You know, but at the end of the day, it's soup. You know, mm-hmm. so that was the, the the thing you kind of noticed the most. And every room I've been in has been different culturally. And even adding just a couple when you're on a show and like people move and like, you lose a couple people and you bring in a couple new people, that kind of changes the dynamic in a way that's always interesting. So. Mm-hmm. Well, you you spent quite a f- quite a bit of time in the room for my boys. That was uh, yeah. what what you did after everybody is Chris and and um, now that it seems like a little bit of a different flavor. Um actually it looks like a cool show. I, n- I never watched that one, but um what can you tell me about my boys? You were on that for quite a while. It was a lot of fun. I mean, like, it was a, like, I guess TBS was branching out and started doing uh, more original comedies, and we were the, one of the first ones to do that. And uh, Betsy Thomas, who ran that show and created it, she was just great to work for. And she was, you know, uh, like, I, I felt like that was a place, like, after your first couple of jobs, 
you know, you're sitting there and you've, you've got your feet underneath you a little bit and, you know, you, people kind of know who you are and a little bit what to expect and all that kind of stuff. But like, definitely under Betsy, I, I just grew a lot. You know, she's a, she's a great showrunner, very supportive, very funny woman. And, uh, that was, it was a very fun show to work on. It was, you know, I've been, Fortunate in a lot of the shows I've worked on are, are very different in kind of style, you know, mm-hmm. or you work on Arrested Development, which is like, you know, very like, it's like soap and it's a like, but it's still a family sitcom in a lot of ways, which people don't really point out, I think, as often as they should, but it's like, it's very structurally like a family sitcom. And mm-hmm. uh, you're dealing with those kind of things. And the move on to Everybody Hates Christmas is definitely, you know, a family sitcom, but it's also, you know, is a, a black sitcom. So like, yeah. you have a, a different kind of way of dealing with family. And then moving on to My Boys, which was, you know, young adults, kind of like frenzy sitcom with, you know, with very likable characters who, were, you know, the actors were great. And it was just a fun show to be on. It was a fun show to be around, you know. And I think that's like, whereas, you know, some of the other shows, a lot of the shows I worked on, it's like you're, 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 you're pressing out comedy and you're doing the jokes and all that kind of stuff. I think the main thing with, with, with my boys, a different style of comedy, it's like it's coming out of everybody liking each other and the fun of people hanging out together. You know, mm. it's about uh, a tom girl who all her best friends were guys and they played poker and softball and just kind of, you know, what happens when you have a group of friends who are that close, you know? And uh, it was, you know, it, it felt really true and it's, it's a great place to work. And uh, it was, like I said, a really super talented cast, uh, Jordana Spiro and Jim Gaffigan. And, you know, it was a really, yeah, I was, I was it was a good three years to spend time there. And mm-hmm. uh, it, that was also just, like, I mean, it's a cable show. So it was a really small staff, generally speaking, like mm-hmm. six or seven people. Uh, and, how many uh, people? Six or seven. Mm-hmm, usually, yeah. right? So um, not that like network staffs are as huge and well, we'll get to animation in a second, but like not that the network staffs are as huge, but like, not like they used to be with, you know, 18, 20, so on and so forth people, uh, you know, like in the Roseanne rooms and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it, it, it's nice. The show was intimate and the, 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 the setting and the way we, we ran the, the, the room because there were so few of us, it, you know, it was intimate. It was great. It was mm-hmm. great. And, and also in my boys, that was when you started to, um, move up the ranks a little bit in terms of becoming a producer and even on to supervising producers. So you took on a few more, duties in terms of uh did that mean that you got to go to the set did you did, were you involved in casting and things like that well you know it depends and not not as i mean like my boys we were very you know we were always on the set for your episode and you know it's you know it was a, we didn't do a, a ton of episodes we do like nine episodes a season and you know we get a lot of the writing done ahead of time and betsy uh has a lot of background in theater and she's great on the on the set and working mm-hmm. with the actors and so we'd be on there and you'd see what's going on and things would kind of change and adjust from the script as you would see it on on the stage and so you're kind of always involved in that process so much of it is just moving up in your career you know mm-hmm. like and it's like you know as much as the levels kind of mean something they're they also mean like you know writers guild minimums for how much you can get paid a lot <laughs> of it's just natural too to like your experience as you mm-hmm. like you know so it wasn't so much like okay well now you're a producer and so you're going to do this this and this you know it's more like well you're doing this long enough and i trust you and so i would say just because of the nature of my boys, I was on the set more, mm-hmm. but I also don't think it was just like, well, you know, now that you are a, you know, supervising producer, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. You know, mm-hmm. it was this, like, again, Arrested Development, even if you were a co-EP on the show, you weren't on the set that much because we needed to write. You mm-hmm. know, that's the kind of what we were doing. And it was a different kind of atmosphere and the same kind of with, you know, everybody hates Chris. So yeah, really with experience, you get more responsibility, but 
it's not like there are like, you know, defined kind of like, this is what so-and-so does. And when you move up next year, this is what you're going to do. And mm. so it's all crushing the showrunner too. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I did, I definitely have heard of showrunners that, uh, that do make those delineations, but, uh, yeah. um, do you think part of that too, was it, it being a cable show and in a smaller staff or just different room, different flavor? Yeah, I think, I mean, the thing I've always found is like, again, like everybody has their process and you're at the whim of the process of the showrunner, you know? Mm. And like, you know, Betsy had a way that she liked running the show and like, again, Ali Leroy on Everybody Hates Chris had a way he liked doing it and Mitch on Arrested Development had a way he liked doing it. And so like, if you put them in a different situation where they only have a small writing staff, they're going to try to use their, use their staff in a certain way to make it easier on them. Um, so I think a lot of it's the condition. Again, like, you know, the fact that we had, we were a cable show, we had only six writers, you know, we maybe there were more hands on deck kind of aspect to it. But again, it seems to me so much about personality. I mean, there, it could have been a show where we have a whole staff and Bessie's just like, you know what, forget it, I'm going to write all the episodes myself. <laughs> you know, again, <laughs> like nine or ten episodes. And there are showrunners who would do that. Who, yeah. You know, you come in, you pitch some ideas and they go off and they write, you know, it's, mm. it's really up to what the person wants to do with their show and how they want to use their staff. And so that's kind of what it was. That's what, it, and that's, and again, that's the one thing I've seen carry over as much. It's like uh, the way the culture of a show kind of goes from the top down. And so like you adjust to that, um, how each person kind of runs it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's step away from TV for a second because you actually wrote a feature. You, you said it was an indie, um, feature. It sounds a lot of fun. I'm through with white girls, the inevitable undoing of Jay Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that. It was, you know, about, well, this is getting ages and ages ago now, like right around the end of my Nickelodeon fellowship, like 2001-ish or something, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm out here and I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to write anything, you know, anything that'll land me a job after the fellowship. And so I had an idea. I went and saw, there's a band called the Dirt Bombs. They're from Detroit and they're great. And uh one of their singers had a song called I'm Through With White Girls. And, and it was you know, there's a kind of funny little song about a, uh, the white guy who, you know, was just all this, he started going to these clubs, these black clubs, and he was enticed by the sexuality of black women, all that kind of stuff. But it's also just kind of a funny song. And mm-hmm. I thought it was a title. And so I came up with an idea for kind of a, a black romantic comedy based on that concept. Wrote that script. I can't believe it's been 10 years now. It's, it's amazing. So I wrote <laughs> that 10 years ago. Cause I'm a big fan of romantic comedies. Like I, I think so many of the movies out now that you see that are kind of labeled romantic comedies aren't as much romantic comedies. They're kind of comedies or, you know, the whole term of chick flicks, which kind of throws people off and you, you're immediately dismissing half your potential audience when mm-hmm. guys I always liked, you know, the Woody Allen movie, uh, romantic comedies and when Harry met Sally and all those kind of guys. Those are, those are movies that appeal to both sexes and that's the kind of movie I, I liked. And so I tried to do a version of that with like, less recognizable African-American characters. And uh, actually one of our characters is African-Canadian. So that's another oh, cool. <laughs> so like, it was kind of like, that's kind of the goal. And um so I wrote it and, you know, I sent it out with my manager and expected Hollywood to come knocking down the door with offers and all these uh-huh. things that you expect to happen. And it was met with utter silence, of course, um, <laughs> until uh, a friend I went to college with Leah Johnson, who is the actress in the movie. She'd uh, produced some shorts and she was like, I want to make a feature. Do you have anything? And by this point, like it's just been sitting in a drawer. I'm working on arrest development and I'm just like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'll like, give you something to read. So I just gave her the script and she was just like, okay, we're going to do this. <laughs> and cool. I'm like, I'm like, all right. Yeah. Okay. 
And so, like, to me, again, like, you know, and again, like, there's, everybody's doing something now, which, which I think is great. But, like, this was, like, se- it could have been seven years ago. This is probably, like, 2004 we started talking about this for the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, like I said, it is seven years ago. Goodness. But, like, we started talking about it for the first time, and it's been sitting around for three years. And I'm just like, yeah, what do you mean we're going to do this? This is crazy. Nobody's, I mean, like, I expected it to be, like, you know, a, like, at most a DV cam and this and just some people and just going to be a, you know, seat of your pants kind of thing. And, uh-huh. uh she pulled it off. She got a lot of, she got people to get money and she got, you know, a whole thing and, um, ended up shooting, uh, a movie. Uh, Jennifer Sharp directed it and Anthony Montgomery was in it, uh, who, he's on a, uh, a sitcom now. I don't think it's a sitcom. I can't remember drama on VH1 now, but, mm-hmm. uh, she pulled it off and, uh, you know, and, uh, so the movie, we kind of made it and, uh, for <laughs> some, Black Tone Festivals and got a decent enough reception from there. It's, you know, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix Instant Watch. It's, you know, been on cable. You know, I know the title puts off a lot of people. Uh-huh. <laughs> One of those kind of like, and I, and it's purposeful on my part because like, again, like you're dealing with an indie movie in a very crowded marketplace, mm-hmm. you know, and so like it was purposefully provocative. And, you know, to me, if it turns people off, that's fine. It's, you know, whatever. You maybe you like it, maybe you won't like it. Any other kind of title that doesn't grab you as much, then nobody. I, I guarantee nobody would saw the movie if it wasn't, if it wasn't called "I'm Through It Like Girls." I, I just that's always in my feeling, and I know people go back and forth about it, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And I am a very liberal people, a person with friends of all hues and colors, and all that other kind of stuff. And I don't mean any offense by it, but that's also. Some of the, you know, judging a book by its cover thing that you get when you deal with titles. So it's a, you know, it's a cute little movie about a couple who end up dating and almost breaking up and getting back together because that's romantic comedy. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But that, yeah, that was a, you know, so that just was kind of done all on its own and then, you know, just kind of took off with a little life of its own. Very, very cool. Well, it, it sounds, it sounds fun. I, I love those indie things because it's like, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't have the, uh, the the big studio money and so you can be more playful with it i guess oh yeah uh, yeah absolutely and like it also i mean you're seeing it now with like the, the cost of production as far as like you know with, with, with the enha- the enhancements in video and people get in their hands with these things and you know dsl cameras and the red camera and all these kinds of things it's like more and more people are experimenting with making features and, and like short features and all these other kind of things and so like to me, I again, like people always ask, you know, it's like, what do I need to do to, to become a sitcom writer? And I'm like, well, again, you need to write, you need your spec, you need your spec pilot, blah, 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 all that other kind of stuff. But go out and shoot something, too. It's the the, the barrier to entry is so low now mm-hmm. uh, that it's like, you know, people want to see that you have a unique voice. And that's what better way to do that. And it's hands on and you learn. And, you know, we live in a world of hyphenates now where, like, you know, you're going to be a writer and an actor, you know, and that's like package. It's Ricky Gervais who's like, who creates these things and he stars in them and you get the voice and his voice is perfect because it's what he's looking for. Or you're a director and a writer, you know, or you're an actor and a director, all these kind of things, you know, that, that allow you to kind of like really fine tune and hone your voice to what you exactly want it to be. So that's what I, and, and so it's great to me to see these things, you know, and again, like it's only been a few years, but I think it would have been a lot easier even now to, to make this movie and get it out to people. Cause it, it was also shot on film. So mm-hmm. that was part of the, the issue of like, you know, really scraping together to get some money to get this done because, you know, we, 
handicapped ourselves in certain ways and while also giving it like again a look and a bill uh, that kind of differentiated it from a lot of the smaller indie movies that are being made mm-hmm. well i mean certainly now the uh, digital technology is there but i mean film's film yeah oh yeah yeah absolutely i mean like yeah they made the i think they made the right choice definitely and again like it got made it got done all that other kind of stuff but it was one of those things too where you're like you're still you know, it's it's hard out there to to raise funds, uh, and this was before some of the economic stuff had gone down, so the climate wasn't quite as difficult as it mm-hmm. is now. But like, you know, it, they they knocked on a lot of doors because it just you know just costs more too. You know, mm-hmm. so and so, I mean, the, back to TV land from my boys. You went back to animation, but this time oh. it's network animation. Um, yep. You were co-producer and writer on a Family Guy spinoff called The Cleveland Show. So (laughs) compare that to your other experiences. Oh, it's, I mean, like, the funny thing is, like, I would say that's the most different of Uh all the experiences in that we have a massive staff on The Cleveland Show. For season three, we had 17 writers. 17? Yeah. We're about to start four writing in two weeks, and we're going to have, I think, 18 writers. Wow. That's like, it's, I mean, so it's completely again that's three times as many writers as i was working with last time you know it's but we need them i mean like and they're all very talented very good people it's just like but that alone was culture shock when you're in that big a room you know like versus the small very intimate kind of thing it's a lot joke heavier show it's been a learning experience for me i I like writing jokes i come from a comedy background i love the the crafting of the comedy i love like the the perfect setup line that's like kind of hidden so you don't even know you're setting up a joke to deliver a great punchline i i I love all that stuff but again like even the show like you know arrested development a lot of the the comedy there's great jokes written on the show but a lot of the comedy came from a different place because it's live action and you're you get expressions and you get people being able to make a funny reaction to something and in animation, while you have funny reactions to things, they're still drawn. So you don't have the quite the detail that allows you to get a laugh in some place mm-hmm. that, that you get in live action. So a lot of it is the words or their actions in a bigger, grander, you know, way. That kind of like really like fine tuning jokes and really writing jokes and, you know, where we'll sit there and have a spot where we, you know, have a joke or we're trying to beat a joke and, you know, we'll come up with a half a dozen or a dozen different options for what that joke could be and and then we kind of move on and mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of that so like that and that's why you need so many people and that's why you need so many funny people that was like i think the big difference just the amount of people and how joke heavy it is it's just it's joke 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 which is, <laughs> which, is which is good you know it is great to be a part of and to learn through and to like really i mean like cause it's a muscle to me you know mm-hmm. like joke writing you talk to stand-ups who you know, or, and they're constantly writing jokes. They're, that's what they do. That's their, their trade, you know? Um, and so being in a room with people who are that funny who challenge you and you got, you got to come up with a joke for this, you know, and you want them, and like some of the things we were talking about earlier, you know, like these people, you're working for a lot of people. If you're going to succeed in this business, you're going to need to be able to make them laugh, you know, mm. or else you're not going to be able, you know, and it doesn't mean you're a bad writer. It's just maybe you're not great for this show or what they do there, but like, it was definitely challenging at first because it was a, it was a switching on a, a light, you know, a, a, that I, you know, a light switch that I hadn't quite worked as hard in quite a while. So, mm-hmm. well, and and definitely you've had some good training to to work up to that too. Between, yeah. uh, I mean, Arrested Development, Everybody Hates Chris, and oh yeah, all, all that type of stuff. And and also, I've heard that there are there are 
writers who are kind of just joke writers who don't necessarily understand story as well. And it's nice when you can have both. Yeah. I would say, I, I don't know if you're a sports fan or like, I, I'm a big sports fan. It's like anything else where like, you know, it's a team game almost, you know? And mm-hmm. so like, you're looking to, a lot of times you have people who fill positions and roles and, and so you're, you're going to need people who are just joke like powerhouses. <laughs> people who, when nobody else can do it and they're tired, can come up with a bit out of nowhere to re-energize everybody and keep the room going or people mm-hmm. who will pull something out of left field. You need, you, you definitely need those people. And like, I think you see just because of the nature of the show, and I think a lot of it because like now it's a single camera, like, you know, single camera comedies dominate in the networks and you know, a lot on cable too. And so like, I think the structure of a single camera comedy makes it more writer friendly in a way mm-hmm. in that like, it's harder to just, be joke people like I, I i wouldn't say like no matter what show i've worked on i don't think i've worked with somebody anybody who's just a joke person mm-hmm. you know i've worked with extremely 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 funny people who like just you're you're in tears every day and <laughs> they, they are the manic energy that keep you going but they can also write a draft too, mm-hmm. you know so like I, i've been again it's been lucky in that capacity too people who stand up who who've been able to do that too you know um but I think a lot of that's too, it's because, you know, uh, at the one medium I haven't worked on, I haven't worked on a multi-camera show, so I don't know if that would be different where you need, because it's tape night and a joke's not working and you need mm. a joke like that. And so, like, bring in the energy guys, the guys who can write jokes like that, and it's just, you know, they can do it backwards in their sleep kind of thing. And so, yeah. like, as many powerfully funny people as I've worked on, I, I would also say they know how to break a story and how to write all those other kind of things too. And everybody to a degree, it's not like, it's hard to be unfunny and just structurally sound and it's hard to be, you know, just funny and have no structure in a lot of the rooms I've been in. So I, you know, I've been fortunate and haven't seen that so much, but like, yeah, you definitely hear about it and everybody's got their strong suits. Like, you know, where they're like, Oh yeah, they're a little better at this than they are at that. And they're a little better for this. And, you know, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. So, so that sounds like it's been a fun run in the last 10 years. Yeah, I got to say, I've been very fortunate. Mm-hmm. So uh, at this point in the podcast, we usually talk about breaking in tips. So if you can imagine uh-huh. sort of when you were a journalist out east, if you had met yourself then, knowing what you know now, what would you tell that person? Well, you know, a lot of things I'd say, like I, that's the breaking in tips are, because I think I was doing a lot of the things I needed to do to succeed in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just getting that foot in the door. To me, I always tell people, like, read everything watch everything, create as much as you can. Like, you know, that's a lot of the hard part, especially when you're younger, you're, you're right out of school or, you know, you've got time, you know, hopefully before you have too much of like family concerns and financial concerns, go out and see as much stand up as you can, especially in comedy, watch every movie you can listen to music, read uh, like every book that you can, not just on filmmaking, just on fiction or whatever you kind of do, like consume the material, you know, that's, you know, that's what you definitely want to do. You want to have a nice, strong foundation in what culture is and mm-hmm. know what you like, you know, and work outside of your genre. Like a lot of people are like, you know, sci-fi comic book people or they're really into sports, or whatever, like work outside of that, you know, uh, read Jane Austen because she's a great writer. This like really, if you really want to do this, you have to really be into the idea of writing and comedy and those kind of things. And so like, Spend a lot of time. It's not like you have to study it and be able to break it down and dissect it. You know, that, that's your method. That's fine. But like also just like enjoy the medium too. don't be somebody who just thinks everything sucks and I know what I'm doing. You know, mm. uh, 
I think that's and it, so if you get a joy out of it and you enjoy the medium and you're a student of it, that's great. I think that's the first thing that you have to kind of do. Then outside of that, I think really, I mean, like it's it, everybody has different paths now. I, I I would have encouraged myself to move to Los Angeles, you know, even before I had the fellowship, hmm. especially for television writing. That's where a lot of the opportunities really are. You know, it's it's where you're going to meet people. It's, it, you know, a lot of a uh, you'll talk to a lot of people out here, and they'll, they'll say if you're out here long enough, you'll get a break. You know, you'll rub elbows with the right person. You'll hmm. know somebody who knows somebody, or somebody will read something. You know. W- is really being prepared for when that opportunity comes. You know, mm. it's like having that right piece of material. But the story I like to tell is with my manager now, who, who, uh, Larry Schumann, who currently manages me. I was temping at a law firm in Encino. In a law firm? Yeah, in a law firm in Encino. This is after the Nickelodeon Fellowship. You know, I'm making like $12 an hour temping, <laughs> maybe five. And I've been doing this for months. Okay. Uh-huh. And I've got loans. I've got all this other kind of stuff. And I, you know, I'm telling them, I was like, oh yeah, I may have to go out on these staffing meetings. They're like, yeah, yeah, okay, very good, you know. And um, <laughs> I, 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 I was looking for a manager, and I, I talked to a friend who, a friend of a friend who was a producer, and asked if she was had any agents or anything that was looking for people, and she referred me to uh, Larry, who became my manager. And this was, you know, right before Arrested Development, so it's like 2003. It's the spring. Staffing things were going on at the time, and I had a piece of material that he really responded to, and. It was that writing and at that timing. And he was also like, he wasn't like a lot of times people aren't looking for baby writers. You know, this is a guy who represents Sean Ryan and the shield and all these other kind of things. It's not necessarily, you know, looking for that kind of thing, but he's also in a place where he said, if he met a writer whose work he responded to, he was just going to work with them and not worry about like, you know, like letting them get more seasoned because he, you know, kind of apparently passed on some guys who ended up becoming great writers just because they were, you know, younger writers than he was used to. And mm-hmm. so he was like, I was fortunate that he was in a place where he was doing that. Uh, I was also lucky and but prepared lucky to, to have a kind of material that he responded to. So when, you know, this friend said, Hey, are you looking to read somebody? They're like, send it over. And then boom. And, and literally he called me. He's like, we need to meet tonight. So oh. we need meetings. And a few months, like within weeks, I mean, like literally, I'm meeting with showrunners on, uh, you know, on shows, uh, on staff, on these staffing meetings, and then uh, rest of development happened. So, like, it was that to me only could happen in Los Angeles, you know, mm. um, in a lot of ways. I guess that's the long version of that. But again, like that, it doesn't, it doesn't have to mean anything. I mean, it's, again, you have these fellowship programs where they ask you to have your material, you write your material, and so on and so forth. And there's Stand up comedy is the way a lot of people get into these things. It, there's uh, many different avenues, but like, you know, a lot of it is, I think it's a lot of it's made easier out in LA. So I would have encouraged myself to move out to Los Angeles and just, you know, I mean, like everybody takes bets in life and you might as well bet on yourself, you know, mm. for as long as you can. And, 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 you know, that's again the way I look at it, which mm. is a lot easier for me to say because I moved out here after having won a fellowship and had a job and all that other kind of stuff. So like, <laughs> still, like my wife is a musician and she, she moved out here. Without those things, and so uh, there's tons like that. And you get and it, you see that like it's one of the comforting things about LA is that like you see that a lot of people kind of do that. If you so if you're willing to take, make that leap, you'll find a community, and you know, and if you work hard, you'll you'll get a break. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I like that term, prepared lucky. Yes, it was. I mean, like it. A lot of things have to fall in the place at the right time, but like it was. If if he was ready to read and it wasn't ready, if it wasn't good, mm-hmm. you know, then I would. 
I just would have missed an opportunity, you know? So, you know, it, a lot of things fell into the, into the right place. A lot of things happened in, the, in, a, in a way that was beneficial to me. And this is, and there are many, many other things that were involved in kind of all that shaking out the way it did. But if I hadn't, you know, sat down at my desk and written for, you know, a couple months prior to that or whatever it was and, and prepared a new piece of material that I was really proud of and ready to go out with, then it would, you know, it wouldn't have meant anything, so. Wonderful. Well, you have been very generous with your time, and I really, really appreciate you uh, appearing on the podcast here. And um, oh, I forgot to ask: Are you on Twitter? Is there any way that people can contact you? I am on Twitter. Courtney Lilly is my Twitter handle, which is also my name, so that's very convenient. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. I don't like you know. I'm not like I have a I have a lot of friends, especially the Cleveland Show friends, who tweet a lot of jokes. Uh -huh. Funny people. I do that a little less. I sometimes share some stuff, but I also like, you know, I like, I love Twitter as a community. I love hearing what people are doing and I love interacting with people through that. I literally, most days, I'm just way too exhausted to even think about extra jokes outside of work and to do that. <laughs> I, really, I, I, I so applaud all the people who can do that. But it's, I sometimes, again, I'll forward some nice links, I'll share some stuff, and then every now and again, I've got a, a little insightful nugget, perhaps, but. Goodness! If you if you sign up and you follow me, don't worry. You're not getting 15 tweets a day about <laughs> a beef salad I'm eating. Yeah, very cool. Well, well, thanks so much, Courtney, and best of luck to you. I guess you're back on the Cleveland show pretty soon. Yep, we'll be. Yeah, we'll be starting up on the 27th of June with season four because we're a year ahead. So, like, season three will start in September. It's very funny, and then uh, we'll start starting season four in a couple weeks. Very very cool. Well, all the best, and thanks so much again. All right. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. <laughs>